My daddy left home when I was three. And he didn't leave much for Ma and me. Just this old guitar and an empty bottle of milk. Well, I don't, I don't blame him because he run and hid. But the meanest thing that he ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. Well, I guess he thought it was quite a joke and he got a lot of laughs from lots of folks. It seems I had to fight my whole life through. Some gal would giggle and I'd get red. Some guy would laugh and I'd bust his head. I tell you, life ain't easy for a boy named Sue. That's the opening verses to Johnny Cash's song, A Boy Named Sue. And you have to wonder, why would a dad be so awful to name his boy Sue? Well, if you haven't heard the rest of the song, you might hear that in a few minutes. But for now, Sue is really upset and he vows... To the moon and the stars that he's going to find the man and kill the man who gave him that awful name. And so I want to ask you the question this morning. Why does bad things, why do bad things happen to godly people? Why do we read over and over again how good people have to go through terrible times? You don't have to look any further than the Bible itself. And you want to ask the questions, why do people have to suffer? Good people have to do this. And you find yourselves noticing the places that some of these godly people find themselves in. Like Joseph in a well, Moses in a desert, David in a cave, and Jonah in a fish are just four examples of good godly people somehow find them, found themselves in a very precarious situation. It was just a few weeks ago that we read about Elijah wanting his life to be taken from him. Why do they have to go through these difficult times? Could God not have used Moses in a powerful way without first putting him in the desert? Why did David have to be in a cave before he could be in a palace? How was it that Jonah couldn't first just go straight to Nineveh? Why is it that God had it planned that he would end up in the belly of a fish? We ask these questions and these are the questions that were asked not only by these individuals but also by a group of weary disheartened, frustrated, and scared Israelites. Several years before, over a century as a matter of a fact, that Israel had just been taken off into captivity to, by the Assyrians and they would never come back. And now it was time for Babylon to come down and take Judah off into captivity. And as they are being marched away, they have to be asking the question, why is this happening to us? God, why won't you protect us? Why won't you save us? Well, from a very human perspective, reading the story, we kind of understand why they're being taken off. At least I know what the problem is, because they're getting what they deserve. Right? Over and over again, they refuse to follow, 
follow God's laws and His commands. And so now God is punishing them and they deserved it. That's my words. They deserved it. I, I don't necessarily deserve that type of punishment. But for what they did, they certainly deserve it. They need to have that. And so I want to ask the question, why do good things happen to godly people? That's the question they were asking. They make their way to Babylon. They're now in captivity. And King Nebuchadnezzar decides that he wants to raise up an elite group of men to help him decide things and decipher things and use their wisdom to help him in his kingdom. So he goes around and he's pulling out all these different people. And he finds a guy named Belteshazzar. Wait, is that right? Wait, wait, wait. Who's the guy who goes in the lion's den? What's that guy's name again? Daniel. I thought, I thought the Bible says he changed his name to Belteshazzar. Is that right? Did I get that wrong? Yeah. Wait, I'm a little confused now, right? Who are the three guys who end up in, in the fiery furnace? No, no, no. No, you can't remember the other names. Michelle, Azariah, Hananiah. Is that not right? Pretty close. But I want to ask you a question. They go off into exile. What's the deal with the name change? Daniel is the only one whose name didn't stick. He did, in fact, get another name. His other name, the Babylonian name that he was given, was Belteshazzar. And I don't know why, if it just doesn't have a good ring to it. I don't know if it would have been too hard to make a song that says Belteshazzar in the lion's den. It just doesn't sound as good, so they stuck with Daniel. Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. That that sounds good. But what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That's not their given names. They actually took on the names that were given to them. But I want to ask the question in the first place. Why the name change? Why did they go over to Babylon and get new names? It's it's pretty simple. I I think it's real simple. And I think it may answer the question of why good godly people have hardships. It's because their names were changed so that they would forget. That was the purpose. They were taken off into exile, and and what they wanted to have happen, the Babylonians wanted to take away their identity, who they were, what they were named, and to forget about their home country, and most importantly, about their God. And Nebuchadnezzar seemingly didn't know a whole lot about their God. He was less concerned about that. What he wanted was these wise men. So back to Daniel, right? So Daniel becomes one of these... Uh, wise men, and we know the story real well, and we'll get to the lion's den in just a minute. But before that happens, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves in a little bit of hot water. Or maybe I should say hot fire. Because they refuse to serve the statue that the king had created. They, They wouldn't bow down to it. They didn't want to lose their identity. You see, who they were and who they belonged to was more important than where they were and what they ate. 
I got to share this story. It's 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 kind of funny, at least on on my end of the deal. Um, and since since White is not in here, I can share this story. Last Saturday, he got invited to go to a rodeo, uh, and it was the first time that he's ever been uh, to a rodeo before. So he was fascinated by that. In fact, uh, halfway through, Lance, who had taken him, had had worked on him and convinced him to come home and tell us that he wanted to be a rodeo clown. And that was his new, that's what he really wanted to be in life. And he was fascinated by the fact that the rodeo clown, he, he didn't realize that this wasn't true. That when the rodeo clown was climbing over the fence, he fell and, and hit himself. And Wyatt was really concerned because he thought he had really hurt himself. And we didn't let him in on the story that that was just a joke. That's kind of what they do. But he was so excited about being a rodeo clown. Uh, and he wanted to get himself a pair of boots because that's one of the things that they, that they, uh, they wear out there. In fact, uh, in the, during that night, while he was there, a conversation was had, and my son, who's pretty much a city slicker, I guess, he got that from me, had gone to a rodeo wearing a t-shirt and some tennis shoes. And the comment was made while he was there, don't you feel really weird wearing tennis shoes and a t-shirt at a rodeo? I mean, who goes to a rodeo and not wear boots? Right? That's what he thought. So he came home and he decided that all the money he had saved up for birthday and Christmas, he wanted to use so he could buy himself a pair of boots. And I said, okay. So we go to, we go to get him a pair of boots. He takes all of his money with him. And I remind him, right now, um, you know, you, you have this money in your wallet, but when you get those boots, it's going to be gone. Are you okay with that? He goes, yes, because I, I really want to have these boots, you know, and I can get me a button-up shirt, and it'll be great. I said, okay. And he got the boots, and the next morning he got up really early, and he, he got dressed, and he got on this hot pink button-up shirt. I, I don't know what's with that. But he gets it buttoned up, gets dressed, puts on his new boots, and he's excited to go to school. And before we go, I set him down, and I said, Wyatt, we need to have a talk. And he says, okay. He says, I want you to know something. He says, what? I said, remember how you felt weird because you were wearing tennis shoes at a rodeo? (laughs) He goes, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But I got me some boots now. And I said, you do know that you're going to school not a rodeo. He said, yes, yes, I do. I said, why, you need to know something. I said, if, if you show up to a rodeo wearing tennis shoes, somebody might make, make a comment about you. And I, and I think you look nice, but I want you to know that if you show up to school with cowboy boots and a hot pink shirt, some people might make some comments. He goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, here's what you need to know. I said, if you wear tennis shoes, somebody's going to make a comment about it. That you should be wearing boots. And if you get yourself a pair of boots, then somebody's going to tell you that you should be wearing tennis shoes. And if you walk around barefoot, well, just everybody will call you crazy. I said, here's what you need to know. I said, this is an important lesson that your dad has struggled with all his life. 
do not let other people define who you are. Because I want you to know they're going to call you names. And they're going to pick on you. You can wear tennis shoes and they'll make fun of you. You can wear a tank top that's hot pink and they'll make fun of you. You can wear a suit and they'll make... No matter what happens, you're going to get picked on. That's just a part of life. Now here's what you can do. You can take every word that you hear, every comment and critique and joke that they laugh about you, and you can let that sink in, and you can let that define who you are, that you're a loser who's no good, who wears tennis shoes on some days and cowboy boots on other days, and let that be who you are. You can let that happen. You can let other people decide who and what you are, and you can spend your whole life flip-flop in between what am I going to wear today so I can please somebody else. I said, you can do it. Trust me, I've tried to do that. I've worn boots to school because I thought I would be more cool or less made fun of if I did that. Or you can do this. You can believe that you have a mom and a dad who love you and a father in, who, in heaven who, are, who will never leave you. I said, that's what's really important. I said, I want you to go to school and be proud of those. By the, did I tell you they were royal blue boots on top? I said, you can go to school and you can wear those cool looking boots and that pink shirt. And people may like you and people may not like you. But let me tell you what's really important. What they have to say about you is just really not that important. You need to know who you are and whose you are. And that will never, ever be defined by what you wear or what other people say about you. Do you understand this? He came back from school. I think a few people made some comments about his hot pink shirt and his boots. And we talked a little bit more about it. I said, "Why you can't forget who you are and whose you are. Maybe that would have been a conversation, or maybe it was a conversation. In fact, if you read through Jeremiah, I know it was a conversation that God had to His people. Don't forget who you are. They said, if we just have a king, we can be like everybody else and they'll stop making fun of us. And He gave them a king. And another king and another king. And before long, none of these kings seemed to know who they were or who they belonged to. They lost their identity. They're shipped off into captivity where again the purpose was let's rename them. Let's make them forget. And so for three years, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went through the program being renamed. So that in some way, maybe they would forget who they were. You know what the purpose of the training was, according to the Bible? It was to learn the custom and the languages of the new land. It was to take away their identity. But God was already working, not only on those four individuals, but the whole nation, to remind them who they were. You see, sometimes it takes some difficult situations for us to realize who we are and what's important in our life. 
I don't want to share all of this with you. I'm sure that you've read this. It's come over the radio through emails numerous times over the last 10 years. But Paul Harvey wrote um, a little commentary to his son, his grandson, excuse me. And he gives him a little bit of advice. And he says, here are some things that I wish for you. He says, for my grandchildren, I want you to know this. I really would like for you to know about hand-me-down clothes, homemade ice cream, and leftover meatloaf. I really would. My cherished grandson, I hope you learn humility by being humiliated and that you learn honesty by being cheated. I hope you learn to make your bed and mow the lawn and wash the car. And I hope nobody gives you a brand new car when you turn 16. And I hope you have a job by then. It will be good for at least one time that you can see a baby calf born and see your old dog put to sleep. I hope you get a black eye fighting for something you believe in. I hope you walk uphill with your friends and that you live in a town where you can do it safely and on rainy days where you could hitch a ride. I hope that your driver doesn't have to drop you two blocks away from school so you won't be seen riding with somebody as uncool as your mom. I hope you learn to dig in the dirt and read books. And when you learn to use one of those newfangled computers, I also hope you learn how to add and subtract in your head. I hope you get razzed by your friends when you have a first crush on a girl and that when you talk back to your mother, I hope you learn what ivory soap tastes like. May you skin your knee climbing a mountain, burn your hand on the stove, and stick your tongue on a frozen flagpole. May you feel sorrow at a funeral and the joy of holidays. I hope your mother punishes you when you throw a baseball through a neighbor's window and that she hugs you and kisses you at Christmas time when you give her a plaster of Paris mold of your hand. So what's Paul Harvey really getting at? I mean, does anybody else wish that your son or grandson actually licks a frozen flagpole? <laughs> They're life lessons, aren't they? They, they are, Eddie. You know, why do good things happen to godly people? I'm not sure I can really answer that entirely. I'm not going to be so presumptuous to think that I know what God knows. But here's one thing I do understand. That sometimes God has to shake us a little bit. And remind us of our identity. Because our identity can get wrapped up in a lot of different things. It can get wrapped up in boots or tennis shoes. It can get wrapped up in the career or the promotion. It can get wrapped up in the car that you drive. Troy, it, it, it could get wrapped up in how long your facial hair is. It could get wrapped up in the coat that you wear, how well your kids do in school, because, you know, they make bumper stickers. So everybody else will know how good your kids are. You can get wrapped up in any number of things. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves 
forgetting who we are. How easily we do forget. I think we know the rest of the song, don't we? Sue meets up with his dad in a drinking establishment. And he says, Hello, my name is Sue. How do you do? Now you're going to die. And they started punching and they go, crashed through the window. And they're fighting through the blood and the mud and the beer. And the father reached for his gun, but I pulled mine first. And he looked at me and he, he started to smile. And he says, you know what? I know you hate me and you got the right. And, and you can kill me now if you want to. But I, I just want you to know something. Before I die. The reason why I named you Sue was I wasn't going to be around. And I knew if I named you Sue, you're going to have to get tough. Sue throws down his gun, hugs his dad, and they ride off into the sunset. Story's not quite the same with God. Though I suppose there are times in our life where we have adopted the name Sue because there was a lesson that needed to be learned. Jesus tells us over and over again in the New Testament that we can expect persecution. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount, just in chapter 5 alone, lists four times in which he says, you will be persecuted. And he says, blessed are you when people persecute you. Three more times in Matthew, he's going to remind you again that you can expect persecution, not just from the enemies, not from people outside, but you can expect that your mother and your father and your brother will betray you and that you will face all types of hardship. And what do we gain from this? It's really simple. We can recapture our identity. It reminds us who we are. Steve doesn't know this. I don't know. In fact, as I, I turned to my wife when, when he was doing communion thoughts. I didn't mean to whisper during your talk, but I turned and I said, did, did Steve go to the ladies' Bible class? Because <laughs> last week, I asked that very same question. I said, what? Or maybe it was a ladies' Bible class. It was, um, it was our life group. And I said, what would happen? I said, I, said, I would love... One Sunday morning to get up and, and when it's time for communion and for me to just jump up and start the sermon and say, you know what, we're kind of busy. We got a lot going on. So we're just we're going to skip communion. It's not a big deal. It'll save us about 15 minutes. We can get out early. It'll be OK. I said I would try that if I didn't love my job and, and enjoy my life because I wouldn't make it out. But I don't know about you, but with, when I don't think about that, folks, there's way too many times that, that tray comes by me. And I just don't think about the sacrifice of Jesus. But you take that away, 
And all of a sudden, I remember what's really important. So blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. For great is your reward in heaven. Through your trials that you face this week, maybe it is, like my grandpa says, walking uphill in the snow. But what you'll really gain from it is a reminder that God is still working on you. And just like He told the Israelites, I haven't given up. You're going to get to go back home. But right now, remember who you are. This morning, I want to encourage you to think about who you are and what's important in your life, what's your identity. If they stripped away all the things that seemed important to you, would you still know who you were and that you had a God who loved you? I hope you know the answer to that, and I hope you understand that that answer is yes. He's no more concerned about your job and your car than He is about the kind of boots that you wear. What He wants you to know is that He loves you and He has called you to be a person who loves loves others and will glorify Him. And I hope you do that this week. That's my prayer for you. And as we sing this song of invitation... I want to take just a moment and remind you that it is an opportunity that you have any prayer requests, any concerns, any confessions, any uh, praises that you would like to have. Please feel free to come forward and let us know. And as a family, we'll surround you. We'll pray for you. We'll lift songs of praise with you. If you have a more private manner, we have an elder who will be at the back. You can go to the family room. It's right through down that hallway. And you can... uh, Spend some time confidentially being lifted up in prayer. If there's any way that we can help you this morning, if you would come as we stand and sing.